I hope you have a Bible with you. We're going to bump around in a bunch of places in Scripture, and I'm going to give you your best opportunity to follow along on the screen behind me. And if you're joining us online, you'll see it in the screen in front of you. Um, we're into a new series together beginning today. It's our fall church-wide focus called Gospel Fluency, Good News Language for Everyday Life. Um, I don't know if you ever watched the movie Apollo 13 or you're familiar with a bit of the story there, but some of you know the line, it become, became famous, Houston, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check Wikipedia for probably accurate information. Uh, watch a movie that's probably somewhat close to what was going on back then, but essentially, uh, a group of astronauts out in space discover a potentially very dire situation in their craft. There's explosions, there's disruptions, and then there's the leaking of oxygen. And they know if this doesn't get turned around, they die. Houston, we have a problem. Every once in a while you hear somebody say that in the middle of a conversation or whatever. It usually means there's actually a problem that's much more serious than we realize. And uh, as we approach this series, um, I mean, I don't want to, I guess this is an awful note to start on, but I guess I'm bringing bad news to begin with. Uh, we might have a problem when it comes to the gospel. Uh, and let me illustrate this way. Uh, you know, you don't have to raise your hands, but have you ever missed reading the Bible one day? <laughs> Why are you laughing? Uh, believe it or not, pastors have misses like that too. And um, if you have a miss like that, like maybe you do have a regular rhythm to your Bible reading, but then you have a miss. Do you ever have the thought or the feeling at some point after you realize you've missed it or later in the day, I think God's a little less happy with me today. Have you ever had that? Or like, I kind of have to make this up some other way. Um, is that true? But we feel that, right? Why? Um, there are all kinds of problems in our lives and in our world, but it's not always the problem that's the problem. It's how we think or feel about the problem that can be the bigger problem. Here, let me just tell you a silly, I think, story from my own life, silly to me. Um, I, ha I was having a bad day a few weeks ago. Just, it was hard. And before I left the office, I just thought, you know what, I just need to open my computer and journal. I don't like journaling, but it's a bit of a discipline and it helps me every once in a while just gather some of the thoughts and put them on paper and pray them and all that. And so I, I did that. And as I was about to type out something in my prayer, you're going to think I'm weird, but all of a sudden I thought, I don't know if I should type this part out because like, you know, I believe in God. I believe in angels. I also know that there's evil spirits, right? There's demons. And I thought, what if a demon sees what I type on the screen here? And then is like, aha, now I have intel. I can mess with his life even more. <laughs> and I, I hesitated. And to me in the moment, it felt so normal to be like, mm, I'll just kind of pray this on the inside. I don't want any. And then it was like, and I'm sure it was the help of the Holy Spirit, just like, Mike, hello. Have you forgotten some pretty important things about who God is, what Jesus has accomplished, what Jesus is still doing, what Jesus is going to bring about in fulfillment in the end into a new beginning. Have you forgot about that, Mike? And it's true, I had been forgetting. And as I reflected, I thought, you know, there's probably been years that I've had weird little thoughts like this where 
To me, it kind of seemed normal on the inside, but when you actually allow yourself to confront it, you're like, wait, this is not healthy, this is not right. It seems like a little bit of a problem, but the bigger problem is how I'm thinking about the problem. Uh, parents in the room, have you ever had a bad parenting day? Why are you laughing? I know nobody in this church has, but um, no, we all have if you're a parent. You've had a bad day where you feel like a total failure. And sometimes as a parent, we can actually think that our failures are somehow fatal. Like what's happened can never be undone, restored, or healed in any way, right? Have you ever had that thought? Like it's a feeling that fills our soul. But if we don't pay attention to it, like we can go on believing that the failure is fatal. But when we examine the gospel, when we think about who God is, what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing, is a parenting fail fatal? No. But it sure can feel like that sometimes, can't it? There are times as a parent that it can be tempting to believe this idea that as long as I can know everything that's going on in my kid's life, see everything that's going on in my kid's life, and be the primary influence in my kid's life, they will be eternally safe. Right? And as they grow up and as they spread their wings with freedom, that belief is tested, right? And it, it confronts something in the heart of a parent where you're like, wait, which gospel have I been believing? The gospel of my own good works or the gospel of the good works of God? So I think parents know sometimes that we have problems, but the bigger problem, if we think about it, is how we think about the problem. Sometimes you and I might know what it feels like if there's uh, a time that our local community begins reacting against something going on in the Christian world. Have you ever seen that happen on social media? I don't know why you're laughing. I mean, do people on social media get carried away when, when the community reacts against Christianity? I think sometimes we do. Um, but what drives that? I mean, I feel that impulse sometimes too, if all of a sudden there's a bit of a push or a pull from the community and it's a reaction against something in, the, in our Christian world. We can run around in this sort of panic, can't we, at times, and we're like, oh no, now, it's, now we're utterly doomed. This spells the end of Christianity for, for our community. And, and we're probably not consciously thinking that exact thought, but we're behaving as if that's what we believe is true. As if, Oh no, if I don't do something about this aggressively, if I don't give a lot of opinion in opposition to this and stir up a bunch of other things, God in the end might not win at all. You know, and, and we're not consciously thinking that, but we're behaving kind of like that sometimes. Maybe we've forgotten something about God. Uh, maybe something changes in the school system and we think, oh no. Something has tilted, and now it's official. The school system has more ability, and they have a greater power to hold on to our children than God himself does. Okay, we, when we say it out loud, we're like, well, that's foolishness. But when we behave, we behave sometimes like we believe that. Well, no, the school system is, it does have more power than God. No, which gospel are we believing if that's the case? Maybe some of us 
feel uncertain as we think about certain financial or economic forecasts, inflation, recession. I mean, there can be kind of a normal response as humans, but at the same time, if that starts you know, swirling around, we start obsessing in that, it might reveal that we have forgotten something about God, forgotten something about what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. Maybe you're the kind of person that knows what it's like to have a haunting regret in your soul. And one of the biggest challenges in your world is figuring out how do I even forgive myself? I don't know if I ever could. Or maybe whatever's happened, there's this thinking inside of you that's like, I don't even know if God can forgive this. And I get that that's a feeling and that that's a train of thought, but inside of that feeling and inside of that train of thought is this idea that, guess what, I've discovered the sin or the activity that's actually bigger than God's own ability to forgive through the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. You know, he can forgive all the other things, but I'm the poor soul that found this one thing that, you know, unfortunately God doesn't have the power to overcome this one. When we say it that way, all of a sudden we realize, wait, hang on. I might have been believing a different gospel. Maybe you know what it's like to have made a mistake or to slip up in life, and maybe it was a total accident, or maybe it was one of those like accidentally on purpose ones where you're like, you thought your way into that one. You got yourself into it, and you knew it was coming, and you still went that way anyways. And then you know what it's like to like, okay, I don't like how that felt. There's the guilt, the shame, or whatever afterwards. And you're like, I'm going to just do some good things. You know, because I think if I do enough of the good things, it'll help me to feel different on the inside about those bad things. And God's not against us doing good things. But when we try to use the good things to outweigh the bad things, we're reinventing this religiosity in our faith that has no place to belong in it at all. Um, It's like we're saying, I think there's actually a Christian karma that I can work out. If I do enough of the good things and enough good things happen in the end, right, then I deserve to go to heaven somehow. And if I did some bad things by accident or on purpose, even though I'm saved, even though I take communion and all that, I was baptized, I still have this guilt, I have this shame, I'm just going to do some more good things, and it kind of, we appease ourselves. Well, hang on, who are we serving in that moment? What gospel are we actually believing in that moment? The problem is a problem, but the way we think about the problem might be the bigger problem. Some of you, um, maybe like me, another confession, um, was it a couple weeks ago or last week, I can't quite remember, on the same day... Uh, North Korea launched a missile over Japan. I was on Twitter, and it was like unfolding fast. All of a sudden, we're like, oh my goodness, a missile's in the air. It's going over Japan. Nobody knows what's going to happen now. Is, it, is, is this the end? On that same day, we also found out that Russia had some nukes on a railway heading west. And we're like, oh no, now the nukes are really on the move. Okay, this spells the end, Right? This is the end. How did you feel in those moments? If you caught on to some of those news fragments as they were swirling around for a few moments that day. I mean, I was like, ah, this could get bad, right? Sure, it could get bad. But is it ultimately the end? Because if that's the thought that I'm embracing, I think I'm forgetting something about God. I think I'm forgetting something about what Jesus has done and what Jesus is doing. Because no matter what's happening in the world right now, as big as it may seem or as small and intricate as a detail of your life this week might be, it's fitting within a bigger story that God is over. Tim Keller reminds us that we're off track when we begin to think that something besides sin is the main problem in the world and something besides Jesus is the main remedy. 
So uh, I, I don't know if he identified with any of the examples I just walked us through. I do. And it means we have a problem. <laughs> Houston, we have a problem. Do you know what the problem is? Your pastor is an unbeliever. And if you identified with any of those things I talked about, what does it make you and I and this church? I think we're unbelievers. If you're tracking along through this series in the Gospel Fluency book, the author, Jeff Vanderstelt, does a good job of just helping identify this reality that though we trust and follow Jesus, we are unbelievers. Doesn't mean we can't grow, and we will, and that's why a series like this is important. Vanderstelt says in the book, we still have places in our lives where we don't believe God. There are spaces where we don't trust his word and don't believe that what he accomplished in Jesus Christ is enough to deal with our past or what we are facing in this moment or the next. He goes on in another place in the book to say this, we need to know how to address the struggles of life and the everyday activities we engage with what is true of Jesus. The truths of what he accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. And as a result, what is true of us as we put our faith or our trust in him. The gospel has the power to affect everything in our lives. Okay, I want us to try something. I, I heard one amen. I think many of you are with me. You're like, okay, right. The gospel is vitally important. I get what it's like to kind of be an unbeliever at times where... I'm trusting as best as I can, but I see how in the everyday stuff of life, there's a lot of different moments that pop up and I forget, or I doubt, or I retreat to trusting my own gospel or in my own self or in some other kind of thing. Gospel is vitally important. I want us to do an exercise together. If you're in the room with us today, uh, you were given a slip of paper and a pencil online at home right now, I'd invite you just to open up a note on your phone or grab a slip of paper and a pen nearby. I want everybody to pull it up, have it with you. And in a moment, we're going to put on some background music and I'm going to give you a, about 90 seconds to do something, okay? 90 seconds, two minutes, about that. Anybody didn't get one? Put up your hand real high over there. Anybody else in the room, you didn't get a slip of paper and a pencil? Adrienne's down here. Great. Thank you for helping, Adrienne. Okay, here's what I want us to do. You've got two minutes to do this. Next slide. Uh, I want you to do a couple things on the paper. Number one, I want you to write out the gospel. Okay? Do it in two to three sentences. That's not hard, right? Write out the gospel. And then the second thing I want you to do is write down one great scripture reference. You don't have to write out the whole scripture. Just the reference. Where is it found? But to make this you know, helpful to us, no one gets to write down John 3.16, okay? <laughs> Billy Graham helped us so well for the last two, three generations get that one in our soul. But at least we should probably have access to maybe one other one in Scripture, if there is one that happens to talk about the gospel. So let's put on some background music now. And please take the next 90 seconds. I want you to write out the gospel. If somebody asked you, what is the gospel? And no Sunday school answers. You can't just put like Jesus, period, and be like, see, that's the gospel. Um, no, I want you to elaborate enough, okay?
take another 15 seconds or so. Don't overthink it. If you're struggling, that's okay. Not alone. Okay, last thing I want you to do, just read what you've written down. I hope none of you cheated and used your smartphones for this process, by the way. Um, I want you to just look what you wrote down, and now it's self-assessment time. Give yourself a score out of 10. How do you think, like, I'm not going to make you share this with anybody else. It's just honest assessment time. How do you, th you know, out of 1 to 10, 1 being it's trash, 10 being this is perfect, God would thank me for writing it this way. Uh, do that. Just, and then write your score on your, on your page. Okay, um, this is, I think it's a helpful exercise for do, us to do something like this. Again, I'm not going to make you share what you wrote with anybody else. Um, to be very honest, if I was sitting in a seat today and asked to do this too, I, I, I personally would have been like, oh, okay, how am I going to write this in two or three sentences? Uh, and then I would look at it afterwards and think, I hope I'm not missing something super important. <laughs> Because it seems that the gospel is quite important, amen? It seems that the implications of the gospel are pretty eternally significant, amen? Like really? Let me ask you that again. Are the implications of the gospel eternally significant? Yeah, I think so. So it behooves, and that might be the first time I've used the word behoove as your pastor. It behooves us to know some stuff as we're writing this down, doesn't it? Now again, let me just, in case any of you are really panicking and you're like, oh God, are you gonna do this at heaven's gate? Like, do I have to do this to get in? No, you don't. Um, but this is, I think, a helpful growth exercise for us. If we're being honest today, I think we're on the right track for that since most of us acknowledged, you know what, Yep, I'm probably in the unbeliever category, like the believing unbelievers. Um, if we're being honest, how many of you would say after this exercise, I have room to grow? Let's see your hands. Yeah, me too. My hand would be up there too. So we have a problem. Now I think we have two. The first problem is we're unbelievers. The second problem is we're not even sure if we know the gospel. Right? I think as we were approaching this series, um, some of us might have thought, do we need this? Uh, the gospel kind of got us in, right? But now what? Maybe we still need the gospel. Maybe it's important for us to become confident in it, learn the language of it, so that gospel isn't just this word that appears every once in a while on Sundays, but it actually changes what Monday afternoon is like for you. That it makes a difference on Thursday morning when you wake up. Because if the gospel's real, if it's important, if it has eternal significance, it better have the ability to touch every part of our lives, right? Or else is it really the gospel? So, 
My question for you, for us to consider today is this. Why a gospel fluency series and why gospel fluency groups? Many of you have heard us talk over the last month that we're encouraging everyone to be involved in midweek conversations through this series in a gospel fluency group of some kind. Why do this? Well, I, I hope we're on the same page now. Number one, we're unbelievers. Number two, we're not even sure if we know the gospel. And maybe thirdly, and it's obvious at this point, but we need the gospel. You and I need the gospel. Um, not just to sort, it's not like the entrance into the Christian club or whatever this is. It is a message, it is a story, it is a reality by which you and I can see and live. And in the absence of it, are we seeing, are we living? You and I need the gospel. Let me illustrate it in a few different ways just to point out that we need the gospel and we need to remember it because it's easy to forget. In the book of 1 Corinthians, one of the early church leaders named Paul is writing a letter addressing all kinds of just difficult, delicate, nitty-gritty kind of churchy issues that were going on in the city of Corinth. And in chapter 15, verse 1, he writes this. I want to remind you of the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel. And then he carries on in verse 3 and 4 says this. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised up on the third day. Do you think the Corinthian church at that moment was like, no way. What? No, of course not. They're like, yeah, Paul, we know this. We've heard this before. In fact, we've been working at orienting our whole lives around these realities. So why is Paul wasting parchment and ink to say, I want to remind you of the gospel, and then begins to outline it? Why is he doing that? Because even as followers of Jesus, no matter how long we live, we need the gospel. We forget we feel what it's like to have the push and pull of society and culture trying to edit the gospel for us. So we need to be reminded of what the message and work of Jesus is. We need the gospel. When Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, they had four main issues going on. Number one, comparison. Number two, relational drama. Doesn't sound like any churches we know of, right? Number three, social barriers. Number four, sexual impurity. And so what does Paul do? Dump a whole bunch of rules on them? No. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel. We, Paul's looking at what's going on in Corinth. He's like, oh, Houston, we've got a problem. This is bad. And wouldn't it be tempting as a leader or as a parent or as somebody with influence in the life of a friend to just sort of push rules first at them? Hey, don't do that. That's bad. Uh-uh. <laughs> and Paul resists it. He does give careful instruction. He does give careful guidance. But how does he present it? I want to remind you of the gospel. He brings them back to what's at the heart of the... Remember God. Remember what Jesus has done. Remember what he's doing. Don't forget. Why is Paul doing... I mean, look through all of his writing. Look through so much of the New Testament. What's going on in New Testament writing as we read our way through the Gospels and then the letters. The Gospel is being rehearsed over and over and over again. Why? Because as Christians, we forget. We need to be reminded. Galatians. Paul 
Again, this church leader is writing to a church in a city of Galatia. And he begins early on in chapter 1 saying this, I'm astonished that you have so quickly deserted, or you are so quickly deserting, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. The word gospel has a lot to do with this idea of good news. And Paul is writing to this church in Galatia saying, it appears that you've turned to a different kind of gospel. And by the way, gospel means good news, Galatia. Does what you guys are into you know, and thinking about and doing right now, does it actually feel like good news? Is it a relief to you? No. Why? The church in Galatia had begun buying into this idea that they could earn their way toward God through their good works and their good actions and that they, they actually were obliged to maintain their salvation by doing all sorts of ritualistic kind of things. They had begun to put their hope and their trust in their own abilities instead of what God had done through Jesus Christ. And Paul saw this from the outside and he sees Galatia and he thinks, Houston, we've got a big problem here. So what does he do? He reminds them of the gospel through his writing. Listen, friends, in Galatia, it's not about you hoping in what you can do. Put your hope back in Jesus, what he's done and what he is doing. In Colossians, Paul again is writing to a church in Colossae. And he begins penning these wonderful words, which again, friends, He's reminding them of the gospel. Why? Because Christians, those who follow and know Jesus, we need to be reminded regularly of the gospel. Listen to his words in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. In chapter 1 he says this, For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Do you think the church in Colossae was like, Wow, I've never heard that before. No. They're like, oh, we've heard that before. That's how we came into relationship with God. And Paul's saying, yes, it's not a waste of parchment and ink for me to write it one more time. You need this in front of you again and again and again. And he carries on in chapter 2 saying this. When you were dead in your sins and in your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the power powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's the good news. You and I need to be reminded of that. I mean, doesn't it even encourage you today to hear this and see this on his screen? You're like, oh yeah, I forgot about that this week. I was feeling a little worried about North Korea and Russia, but now I've been reminded God is over all things and has a renewal work that's going global. He's going to win the day. He really will. We might not see the fullness of it in our lifetime, but he's going to win. In Romans, some of Paul's most well-known work on the gospel, listen to this in chapter 5. This is from the message. I love how it's worded. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves 
ready. Are you listening to that? I mean, does this not begin to feel like good news? Have you ever been too weak or even too rebellious in your history? How has God responded to that with his very best in Jesus Christ? Listen as it carries on. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyways. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone Good and noble could inspire us to selfless selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. Wow. I mean, look into the heart of God. See Jesus here. This is wonderful. This is good news. If you follow along in the NIV or in other translations, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get better, for us to clean ourselves up. And guess what? On this side of the cross, whatever point in your faith journey with Jesus you're in right now, he's not waiting for you to clean yourself up so that somehow you're worthy again for worship or for relationship or for eternity. He's the same God The one who's done it is still doing this. Listen as it carries on. Now that we are set right with God by means of this sacrificial death, the consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. Is that not good news? There is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. If when we were at our worst... We were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son. Now that we're at our best, not because of our own works, but because of what his works have accomplished, just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer uh, content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. Amen. You and I need God's word to remind us of the gospel. Why should you and I have a regular diet of God's word? You need to be reminded of God's character, his heart, his nature, his ways, what he's done and what he's doing. You need to be reminded of the gospel. You and I need people in our lives. Let me say this again. You, everybody say me. You need people in your lives who will say to you, trust God's work, not your own. A friend who loves you enough that when you're struggling through something, they observe, oh my goodness, they're believing in the gospel of self in this moment, or they're believing in Christian karma in this moment. You need friends who will look at you lovingly in the eye, not beat you over the (laughs) brow with this, but lovingly and say, trust God's work, not yours. Trust, Trust God. You need friends in your life, people in your life who will say, trust what God says about you, not what you're feeling about yourself right now. I had the privilege in recent weeks to have someone from our congregation meet with me. And I won't give names or details, but they just said, I don't know if I'm losing my faith. And I said, what what do you mean? And then they explained a problem that had been ongoing in their life. 
And it was such a privilege for me as this individual's pastor to say, allow me to remind you what Jesus has done for you. This rests on him and his performance, not yours. Are you willing to keep trusting him and following him? Well, yes. You're being made free by him. Someone who was feeling bullied into a corner away from faith by the badgering work of the enemy and the own confusion of our own thinking leaves that day, not because I'm some sort of smart pastor, but because of the wonder of the gospel of Jesus. Being able to say to somebody, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. Let me just remind you what Jesus did for you. Let me remind you of his performance. You know, and, and not to be snarky with them, but it, I had to say, like, are you trying to say that when you get tangled in that problem, that one problem is the one thing that God actually struggles to forgive? Well, no. Right. God is greater. Um, several years ago, in a different community where our family was living, we had a very interesting set of neighbors. Um, and uh, I was trying my best to be loving towards them. Have you ever had somebody in your life like that? Where you know your intentions are right, but I'm not sure if everything else is showing that. <laughs> and, um, you know, so when they first moved into the neighborhood, we did, you know, brought them over a nice big thing of chocolates and cards and stuff like that. And we were trying to put our best foot forward. And I don't know if they really appreciated it as much as we hoped. We were hoping there'd be some gushing, you know, and there was no gushing. Um, well, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Um, and then one day we're sitting, I'm in the morning drinking coffee uh, in our living room, looking out into our big, beautiful backyard. We were renting two acres at the time. And this is a couple days after they moved in. And all of a sudden, the six biggest dogs I've ever seen come bounding through our backyard, swirling around like this hurricane of awfulness. And then they all start squatting in our backyard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, well, any good person, you know, they've got little baggies. And turns out they didn't have baggies, I guess. They didn't know where you, you buy those things or do that. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And uh, so this carried on. You know, I guess dogs eat every day. Um, <laughs> And so we're getting to know them a little bit. I'm like, man, we're going to get to know these people. And um, it turns out one day my son Jackson comes home and proudly announces, hey, uh, I was talking with Brandon and Kim. Do you know they have over 30 pets in their house? I said, really? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I think I can report that. Uh, no, I, okay, I'm not going to report that. I'm going to be a good neighbor here. We're going to try to build bridges of relationship because the gospel and all that. And, and then um, it all changed when I found out they had snakes. <laughs> See, I don't like snakes at all. There's a reason in Genesis that the devil shows up as a snake, right? You know, and and uh, so they've got boa constrictors, two of them. And one day I'm just minding my own business in the backyard and they bring their snakes out and my children run towards them. This is the worst case scenario. And then I see Jackson handling this snake. I'm like, well, you were a good guy, Jack, but this is as close as I'm getting to you now. If you die, uh, they'll have to unwind the thing from you, and then I'll come. But anyway, uh, it, was not, it was not a pleasant scene. And one day, uh, the doorbell rang. It was a neighbor girl, and she had this dish of food. And I was like, oh, well, this is a nice gesture. 
And so I opened the door. She said, hi. I said, hi, Amber, how are you? She said, yeah, I'm good. And I'm ready to just like, thank you. That's very kind. What is this? And she says, um, our snake is missing. I said, oh, you know, what, what's in the pan? <laughs> and she said, yeah, we think it's in the oven. So we don't want to use our oven right now. We don't want to kill it. Um, can we use your oven right now? So I was like, uh, yeah, of course, you know. And so for several days, they were overusing our oven. And um, I was not falling asleep at night, because I'm sure boa constrictors travel at night into our house. Did, when you were a kid, did you ever worry about snakes in the toilet? You know, you just sort of have to hover over the toilet after that. It's terrible. But anyway, I had a hard time with these neighbors, a real hard time. And to be honest, if, I'm, if I could be really honest with you, I gave up on, like, having hope for them, or even kind of, like, I'm like, I don't know, they wouldn't be good neighbors in heaven either, I don't think so. <laughs> so I gave up, and I just, I didn't make effort to get to know them. Offense kind of settled into my heart. I felt indifferent about them, their spiritual, they had chaos in their lives, and I thought, you know what, that's of their own making. Ugh. And then you know what changed things for me? I mean, it, was, it had to be the Holy Spirit, but it, it was the gospel. There was one day I was just so confronted with the thought that in God's world, I was the one with six dogs that ran in and made a mess of his world. And how did he respond? With distance and indifference, he got closer. He laid down his life for me. And as wound up and bothered and offended and rightly so at my neighbors as I felt, the gospel changed the narrative in me because I realized where I am in the gospel story and where that puts my neighbors in the gospel story. And that changed something in my heart from closed to open toward them. Friends, we need the gospel, but the reality is others need the gospel too. John 14, 6 says this, Jesus answered, I am the way the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Some of you, as you see that, you're like, well, that's very exclusive. Friends, it's the truth. And others need the gospel. Acts 4.12 says this, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name, the only name, Jesus. Romans 10.13 says this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not trusted in? And how can they trust in the one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone sharing with them? And how can someone share unless they've been sent? And I might add to that today. And how can someone share unless they know the gospel? And how can someone share unless they're believing the gospel themselves? You and I, friends, need to know how to speak this good news into everyday life for our own sake and for others. This series, as we journey forward together in the next six weeks that follow, is going to become about the story of God and the five trees. Some of you remember that language from our recent rollout of vision language for our church and values. Friends, scripture, this is sort of a spoiler alert, scripture and the gospel are not about you. You're not the center of the story. God is. And there are five trees that appear in scripture and relay important messages to us about what God's heart is like and what he's doing in our world and 
with accuracy what the gospel actually is. And I want you and I as a church family to have an opportunity to kind of remember these five trees and what that means for you and me and what it means for others. So I invite you to journey together over these next six weeks as best as you can. Be with us as we go through this as best as you can. If you know you're traveling, catch up online or watch us online. Our hope is that these five trees, this way of rolling out the story of God will help you, number one, to understand scripture better. I talked to somebody recently who's making their first lap through scripture and they're like, this is interesting. I have a lot of questions. I'm like, I get it. Do you know what will help them understand the Bible and where it's going better? The five trees. This is going to help us understand the gospel better. And best of all, it's going to help us see God's heart better. What I want to ask everyone to do, can you just say right now as we begin to close? He's talking to me. Yeah, let's try that one more time. I know you're hesitant on that. He's talking to me. Yeah, okay, thanks. You're with me. Um, we're asking everybody, as a leadership, we're asking everybody in our church family, would you engage in midweek conversations about what we're talking about on Sundays? What we don't want is just sort of some thoughts coming through our eyes and ears and then drifting into who knows where afterwards. We really want it to turn around in your soul for there to be dialogue, conversation, and thought about what does this, what does this mean for my everyday living? There's a few ways that we're inviting you to do this. First of all, I, I ask you or I invite you, you know, come up with your own way of doing this, but be intentional and make sure there's a rhythm. Don't say, yeah, I'm going to organically do this and then not do it. I know what that's like. Come up with a plan and follow through. If you need help, here are three great options. Number one, there's still time for you to join one of our life groups. Some of them will go, be going through this material. Reach out to our office today, tomorrow, and we'll help connect you to a life group. We have three pop-up groups. Three pop-up groups. So these are groups that are going to exist for the next seven weeks going through this series. I have a picture of the, life, or the pop-up group leaders for you to see. Ch uh, Tim and Chinita, Chris and Judy, and Dave and Ann have all started pop-up groups. They have room for you to join a group for the next seven weeks. Contact our office or find one of these wonderful faces in the lobby today, and we'd be glad to get you connected to their group. So that's another way you can do this, is in a pop-up group. You might be in a group of six or a dozen people going through some of this material together. Lastly would be a coffee club, and that's where you find two other people of the same gender where you can have deeper conversation together over what we're going through. I want to show you a video in case you're wondering... Why should I think about maybe a coffee club or reaching out to one or two other people to journey through this together? Here's a short something for you to say. <laughs> go to one, go to one. <laughs> <laughs> my arm hurts. <laughs> I was like, oh, my shoulder. <laughs> anyway. We've got Josiah, Joel, and Aaron, who about a year ago actually formed a coffee club as part of the series we were doing at the time. And uh, I just wanted to learn a little bit from their experience. I heard they had a great time. Um, how did you guys become a coffee club? Um, just sent a message out to each other saying, hey, um, we're doing a series. Let's, uh, you guys want to join up and be a coffee group? And that was pretty, yeah, pretty much the end of it. Joel, what were some of the best parts of the experience you guys have had? Just being with, um, yeah, just being with, uh, two other guys uh, to open up to share our, you know, ourself with and pray together was, was really, um, really meaningful. 
it, it digs deep and it's something that, um, you know, in a smaller group, you can get a little more um, personal and in depth. And there's a level of trust that builds in, in such a group. So Great. yeah, good food, good guys and good convo. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I know that food was a highlight for you guys um, and connection grows. Um, Josiah, would you say, like, did you feel personally that your faith grew, be, you know, because of that experience together as well? Do you think that was a shared thing? Yeah, I would say all of us had a good chance to grow in our faith, especially uh, with the subject material we went through. It was a great time to go deep into things. When you're part of a larger group, you don't really get a chance to discuss things really deeply because seven to 10 people need to talk about everything or when you're praying, but with two other guys, you don't have to worry about that. A lot more time to cover things. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, what would you say to somebody who's watching right now who's maybe a little bit on the fence and they're like, I, I just think I'm a bit too busy. I don't know if I should fit this in this fall or maybe they're a bit hesitant about, you know, because you kind of have to put yourself out there to link up with a few people to be part of a, a growth track like this. What, what do you say to encourage them? Um, it's, it's worth it. It's a commitment, but it's worth the commitment and, um, you're going to grow from it. And, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun if, you know, with, with, uh, people that are in the same space or even, you know, perhaps that are not in the same space, but it's a lot of fun when you get together and, and get a chance to be meaningful and, and intimate. Guys, thanks so much for being a great example to me and to our church family. I know it's not always easy for people to find the time or to open up their lives to each other, but it's such a big part of our growth together. And that's what we're aiming towards this fall with our Gospel Fluency series. So appreciate you guys. Keep uh, cooking and eating together and have a lot of fun. Blessings. <laughs> As we... Um wrap things up. I do want you to think about a coffee club. Two ways to do a coffee club. Number one, just like they did. Find two other people. Do it yourself. If you need help finding a couple other people, if you're preferring a coffee club approach, contact our office and we'll help you with that. Last thing I want to put on the screen, some of you I know like to take a picture of this. We will send this out uh, on Monday this week to all the groups going through this. Here's a discussion guide. There's some optional if you're going to read through the book. There's uh, some opening stuff to, to work through. Uh, and then three or four questions, really. Number one, what are you hoping to grow in over the next seven weeks and why? And number two, you're going to read through Romans chapter five, a few verses together and dialogue through a few things. Then you're going to do communion together as a coffee club or a pop-up group or a life group. If you need guidance with that, scripture helps us how to do that. And then number four, just a heads up that as groups, you're going to begin dialoguing over the next seven weeks. What's something you could do as a bit of a Christmas outreach together. Let's stand. Wonderful. Would you join me as we pray to conclude today? Father, we give you thanks for your work in our world and in our lives. We give you permission by your spirit, by your word, and through each other in dialogue. We give you permission to remind us of the message by which we are saved, the message by which we have life, the message by which we know you. Now as we go into your world on your mission, we confess and declare our dependence upon you. We can't do this on our own. Help us to extend the message and ministry of Jesus in the everyday stuff of life this week. Amen.